Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, what's up everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having an amazing day so far. I am just so grateful and excited to be introducing this week's amazing guest, Mr. Andy Drish. So I've been wanting to record this conversation with Andy for over a year. Andy has been one of the most important people to enter my life. He is also one of the most gifted people I know. He's a shaman. He is a serial entrepreneur and creator. He's an artist. He's a lover of life. He's a teacher. And most importantly, he is one of the most passionately curious people I know. I mean, he just truly is dedicated to mastering the art of living. And I've been working with Andy for over a year now, about 18 months. And we started working together after my breakup last year, where I was just lost and confused and really trying to identify and find that that inner sense of power within myself. And, you know, I really wanted to work with him because, you know, Andy has one of the most beautiful relationships I've ever had the privilege of learning from and observing. Uh, Him and his, his wife, Libby, just live a very unconventional life and lean into their relationship as one of the most powerful containers for growth that I've ever witnessed. And so when I hired him, I really wanted to learn from him and I wanted to learn the art of creating an amazing relationship. How do I need to show up so that I can, I can, I can create a safe space for that level of intimacy to exist. And in that journey, he taught me so much. And in this episode, we unpack everything that goes into creating an amazing, fulfilling, beautiful relationship with yourself, with your partner, and how to actually navigate the waters of intimacy with grace and ease and presence and love. And I just really adored this conversation because I think relationships, and I know we've been talking a lot about relationships recently on the show. And I I think it's because, you know, I'm just, I'm realizing more and more, the deeper I go into my relationship with, with Gina and more I'm realizing how ill-equipped we are as a society to actually have great relationships. Like we're just not taught in schools how to, how to be in a secure, how to have a secure attachment style and how to, how to go from those anxious and avoidance styles, which we talk a lot about on this episode, you know, and we don't really talk about how to lean into breakups and why breakups can be such a powerful, powerful, powerful catalyst for personal and spiritual growth. We don't talk about how to build relationships that can last for a lifetime. We don't talk about the different stages of relationship. We don't talk about mastering the art of love. And so I just wanted Andy here so that we can open up a, a, a beautiful dialogue around this and we can start to have these conversations because I think when we can learn to stay grounded in our relationships, we can learn to stay grounded in every other area of life because we came into this world needing love and support as babies. We needed to be cared for. We needed to, that's part of our wiring and our DNA whether you're in business or anything, like we're in the people to people business. And so when we can remember that our intimacy at our core is, is, is the gateway for spiritual evolution, 
it changes the game. And we talk, that's what we talk about on this week's episode. You know, Andy is one of the few people that I trust to help me navigate the art of intimacy and being in relationship. He has been instrumental in helping me access a level of connection with myself, with my family and with everyone else in my life. And, and I just can't thank him enough. And I'm just so grateful for his wisdom. And I'm just so excited for you guys to get to know him. Uh, he has a company called the art of love where he teaches relationship strategies and he teaches unconventional ideas around how to create fulfilling relationships, because in his words, it's the thing that makes everything better. So whether you want to learn more about how to have a fulfilling relationship, move into a space of interdependence instead of codependence, or how to navigate these ups and downs and the cycles of relationship, then this episode has it all. And I just cannot wait for you to enjoy it. So anyways, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to lean into this level of learning, because I really, truly think that when we can master the art of, of staying grounded in relationships, we can, we can master the art of it all. So anyways, I'm done talking and I'm going to start listening with you to this week's incredible guest, Mr. Andy Drish. Enjoy. Yo, 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 what's up, everyone? And welcome to this very special episode of Stay Grounded. I, I can't believe we're doing this, Andy. Uh, same thing. I, I, like, I, 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 I'm like pinching myself a little bit because I said this to you earlier, I've been wanting to have a conversation with you on the mic yeah. for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've just been probably one of the most instrumental people enter my life not just in the last year but you know over the years mm-hmm. with the foundation and you mm-hmm. know just everything that you've helped me really experience i mean i just have so much love for you and i'm mm-hmm. just excited to just excited to share you with uh with a lot of people and so thank you man so everyone i, I gave you context everyone listening you have context around who andy is and how he has shown up for me in my life mm-hmm. and you know, I wanted to start with the central idea that you shared with me around around breakups mm-hmm. and transition points and mm-hmm. just the idea of endings in general. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'd like to start is why are most people very resistant to leaning into the ending of something mm-hmm. with an open mind and curiosity? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really good question. And, and if you're listening to start, I think... Um, We'll talk about this uh, throughout this, but I think I think the importance of being in relationship with death is something that is critical for us as humans. And the notion of transitions, of, of endings, it's we want to grasp and we want to hold on. And so this could be a transition, like these could be big transitions, like relationship breakups that are very, very painful, but it could be leaving a job. It could be leaving a city. It could be, a health crisis that you start hitting, but you're going through some sort of transition and our natural impulse is to resist and to hold on. But death is such a natural part of life. Like if you spend time in nature, you see death all around you from trees dying and animals dying. And I think the more that we are able to lean in to these transition points and not resist them, but to actually welcome them, it creates a lot of freedom for us throughout the experience. So do they have context of, of how we kind of met and you know, yeah, and why can, this is such a thing for a topic. I, I gave a little bit of an intro, but I'll go a little deeper into it. I reached out to Andy after I got out of my breakup last year. I was really 
having a hard time actually reintegrating back into life and reintegrating back into the dating world. And I felt like I was just, I was lost and I didn't want to make the same mistakes again. I didn't. Mm -hmm. And so when I reached out to Andy, it was really so that I could have a guide and a mentor to sort of help me navigate and elevate my own capacity to show up in my life. Mm -hmm. Because the way I had been operating, it created a certain level of success, a certain Mm -hmm. type of relationship. And if I wanted something different, I knew that I had to grow and be different. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really hard pill for me to swallow. And one of the things I appreciated most about you is there was no shame. And I think there was a lot of, I think for me, like there was a lot of insecurity around accepting that I wasn't the best or that I made mistakes. There was a really hard pill for me to swallow and, and a very hard ego for me to put down. Yeah. Which is really, it's, it's difficult. And I think that happens with a lot of things. Like I think I see a lot of my friends who actually get out of breakups and then all of a sudden they're back on the dating scene without actually taking the time to really sit and integrate that experience or take the time to be with themselves and get to know themselves better. And then all of a sudden they're in the same relationship with another person. Repeating the same patterns. Repeating the same patterns. And I think I had had enough awareness around that. So, you know, for everyone listening, like that's really how Andy and I's relationship started or got deeper last year. I had a question for you that after that first riff that you did around just the importance of death and importance of death. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think just going off of what you're saying with that, I think the, those, those transition points of, it feels like failure often, whether it's a breakup, whether it's a business uh, or a career move, a lot of times the transition feels like it's some, some element of failure in it. And it's not always the case. It's, you know, you start getting perspective of like, oh, wow, these are we were operating in these ways that were either not working or dysfunctional in some sorts of ways, but you don't, you don't actually see that until maybe days, weeks, or months past the thing that happens. And I think those, I think these transition points are pivotal where just like you said, men in general will often either, it will crack them open to a whole new level of living and it will be a catalyst for their transformation in a huge way, or it will harden them. And they will go on and they will ignore it. And then they'll just go party or go binge drinking for a little bit and then like get back out on Tinder and start meeting new people. And I think that's why that phase feels so important to me is because you can really, it's a window of opportunity for people to really change their lives. As you're speaking about this, like I'm realizing, I think I had a really weird relationship with failure too. I didn't have a healthy relationship with failure so that when my relationship didn't, go the way I wanted to, yeah. I felt like I failed. Yeah. And I felt like a failure. Yeah. And I felt like I, and, and it may not have been that. I mean, I just may not have had the tools, the awarenesses, but for some reason when there's other people involved or even in business, like when I have failures that are, that, that, that might involve other people, whether it's laying off employees or mm-hmm. anytime there's a failure related to an interpersonal relationship, I have a ton of shame. And that shame is then the piece that stops me from wanting to actually like go into it because it's such an uncomfortable feeling. And I think that's one of the things you've helped me most with is really kind of broaden my own, my own willingness to experience the uncomfortable. And so can you talk about the value of embodiment work? Yeah. In a lot of ways, because I think there's a lot of mindset work that's done. Like you can do the belief work, the mindset work, but 
I think embodiment's an idea that isn't necessarily encouraged or talked about enough. Yeah. So I'd love to hear your take. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you're, if, you're, if you're listening and you hear entrepreneurs in general is like, we build an identity around leaning into the uncomfortable. If it's uncomfortable, we want to do it. Like there, and there's a, a part of us that's, that gets a thrill out of that. But sometimes the really uncomfortable thing to do is to do nothing or is to sit into stillness. Sometimes that's actually more confronting and more uncomfortable than going off and doing the next journey or doing the next like intense thing. And how that relates to the embodiment piece is I think a lot of the times if, if we're too stuck in our heads or we're living our life from a logical mental plane, a strategic plane, it's very, very uncomfortable for us to slow down and to drop more deeply into the body yeah. to where we're a little more relaxed and a little more at ease. And there's, there's pain in that, I think, which is why we resist it, which is why it's so fun to go off and do all these other things that give us a pumped up sense of adrenaline and excitement for a short period of time. But as you continue to chase that intensity over time, there's diminishing returns. And at one point for me, I ended up pushing, pushing, pushing. I ended up getting really sick, going to the hospital, vomiting on myself, passing out, like having this whole experience. And it was just a, a wake up call to me of like, wow, this model doesn't work to keep pushing the edge, to keep pushing the intensity. And I had to go find a go on my own journey of going inward and, and deepening into myself and into my body before I could come back out. How has the experience of deepening into your body brought you more awareness around your own relationship with shame and your own relationship with failure and your own relationship with a lot of the constructs that may live in the mind? Yeah. So I set intentions every year and always have a theme for every year. And one of the years, the theme for me was just the year of self-love. That was the the notion. I thought this was going to be a beautiful fucking year. I was just going to have this like amazing fucking, you know, like just going to, it's self-love. It's going to be blissful. And it was the hardest year. It's so hard. And at one point through the depth of it all, what I realized is that my, you, you don't find a sense of love and, and peace and contentness and satisfaction in the light you actually find it in the darkness. And so you have to feel through that fear and that shame and that embarrassment and that fear of failure, all of those emotions that actually stop you from dropping in more deeply into the body. You have to feel through those in order to find that part of you that is just more loving and more relaxed with yourself. It's like the, the only way out is through. And I think that's the uncomfortable truth that a lot of people maybe don't want to face. And I think one of the things I've learned most from you is that, you know, relationship can be one of the most powerful places to really uncover those parts of you that you're avoiding, right? And that's why we were talking about, you know, a breakup or a relationship transition point. It, it can be such a powerful mirror. Does that just apply to romantic relationships or can it also apply to familiar relationships like, how do you lean into relationship as your teacher and what practices do you have or awarenesses have you developed as a result of really leaning into relationship as a teacher? Yeah. I mean, if you're listening, the reason I'm so interested in the relationship game is because it's the hardest. I think it's the hardest out of all of them. Getting healthy, building businesses. I think relationships is harder to do in a lot of ways. And I've just personally really struggled with it. I've been with my wife for 10 years. We met really young at age 23 and 25. And so we've had to navigate 
this process of waking up together. I spent my entire life growing up in Iowa. And so pre-psychedelics and pre-Burning Man and pre-all these like crazy things. And, and that's where we met. So then we've navigated this process of exploring all of these different territories and realms and coming back to this place of separation and connection and separation and connection. And we're constantly on this like dance together. It's been very, very difficult. It's been very challenging. And it's been by far the most rewarding thing that I've put my attention and time into. So the way that I look at relationship is or the approach that I have with it. And I will speak to men and women. I, I speak to them a little bit differently, but I tend to orient towards speaking to men around this is that your relationship with your partner is a hologram for your relationship with the rest of life. And so the areas with your partner where you show up in certain ways or don't show up in certain ways are the exact same areas that you're going to see that happen in your business and in your partnerships and in your health. And so the difference is that it just takes longer to see because you're not as in an intimate space with a business partner as you are with a life partner or your wife or your spouse. And so the cycles happen closer in the areas where you're more intimate with a person. The orientation can be that you can go fix the things out there and, and see them as they come up, or you can pay hyper close attention to what's happening here in the dynamic with you and your person and then make adjustments here. And then you'll watch them shift in the outside world. And so if you make tweaks with your spouse and you have a business partner, you're probably going to see the same dynamics happen in possibly different ways, but in, in similar, in similar ways. I heard you say staying together, separating, staying together, separating with your partner. Can you unpack that a little bit for anybody listening as to like, because obviously you guys are together right now and you guys are stronger than ever. I mean, I've seen both of you and like, so this idea of life and death, right? Like staying together, separating, staying together, separating, like in what context does the idea of transition or the idea of maybe saying goodbye to a relationship in the way that it was. What is that culture that you've developed in your relationship? Because I think that's actually one of the most fascinating aspects of you and Libby that I've really learned a lot from, which is like both of you are so committed to your individual, you know, spiritual evolution that as a unit, there's a container and a safe space to actually explore those things. Yeah. So when, when I talk about staying together and separating, I think the nature of relationship is to come close together into layers of intimacy and then go back out into levels of sovereignty. And the weaving between the two is just the dance of relationship. I think it's the dance of life. It's, it's the, the weaving between night and day. It's the weaving between in-breath and out-breath. I think relationship is very, very similar to that. And so when I say separating, there's, I mean, there's two contexts for it. It's, it's just like an energetic piece where you're emotionally connected and together and you're really in sync. And then you tend to like go off and then things get crunchy and you fight at times and then you come back together. And that, that weaving is just a natural part of, I think how relationship is. But then I think there is also one question that's been really interesting is that how do you build a relationship for a lifetime? And not just a relationship that lasts a lifetime, but that you're satisfied and happy and turned on and passionate about for something that lasts decades yeah. Like, how do you do that in a world where today we have more options than ever? We have more reasons to bounce than ever. And we don't, in a lot of ways, we don't need each other in the way that we used to need each other. You know, if you imagine in the 1940s, when you're running a farm, you need each other and you need a family to do all of the things to be able to survive. We don't really have that same level of intensity these days. Yeah. And if you look at how 
our values as our generation has evolved, the generation before us really valued stability and security. So the mantra was always go to college, get a good job, get that good job in corporate America. And that is a mantra that is focused on stability and security. And since four hour work week and a bunch of other books, our generation has been like, live now, travel when you can, like we orient towards freedom more than we orient towards stability and, and safety. And so in relationship, how do you create a relationship that allows the space for both to exist over a long period of time? And for those that are listening that are on the growth path and doing these types of things of exploring themselves and going deeper into personal growth, you start evolving so quickly as a human. How do you build a relationship that allows both of you to evolve simultaneously at varying different speeds because that's inevitably going to happen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a very complex problem. It's a very complex question. So one of the things that we've noticed over the 10 years together is that our relationship will go through what we call death cycles, where there are levels of ways that we relate that are codependent at times. And where we, instead of having sovereignty and independence in ourselves, we enmesh with the other person at some level of emotional connection and then we outsource our needs or our responsibilities to them and and we do this and we at some unconscious level collaborate to get these needs met and then eventually you have to cut those cords and come reclaim your own sense of sovereignty with that and i think there will be times in relationship where it feels like the relationship is dying when those cords are being cut because the pattern is dying Mm. and it will feel like the end of a relationship. We call this the relationship death cycle for us. It's like the end of a cycle is nearing and you start questioning everything. You're like, is this the right person for me? Can they meet me in the way that I want to? Am I going to be trapped in this codependent hell forever? (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of people break up during this cycle because it feels like the end. And we lean towards, if you want to build a relationship for a lifetime, these cycles will be inevitable and and you will have to face them. And you can be with one person for a lifetime, but within that lifetime, you will have many different relationships with many different contexts throughout that time period. So for us, when we when we see this starting to happen, while the 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 typical impulse is to clamp down and to hold on, we try and create space to let go and and to relax into the death and to allow the patterns to die and for the next thing to emerge that is a more true form and a more true expression of your relationship together. This is beautiful, man. What I'm appreciating most is how you're actually actively expecting it. You're actually anticipating it to happen instead of avoiding it and kind of being like, oh yeah, no, like we're all going to be great. Like we don't want to think about this. Like, and so you're actually designing a relationship and practices that are empowering and creating that safe space to grow. Yes, because in order to do this, you have to drop the notion that we've been raised with of like the Disney model of what relationship looks like. Our generation's like so fucked. Just with all of the cultural programming around relationship, we have we have like the Disney programming of that we're supposed to be Prince Charming and the princess is supposed to be helpless and we're supposed to save them and then it's happily ever after. And then we have the reality that most of us have grown up with, which is, you know, half of us, our parents have been divorced and the other half is like, not many of us have had a model of relationships of parents that were like very, very happy and fulfilled together. So it creates this internal conflict between us and to let go, to be able to 
build a relationship where you can have that space for independence and then connection and, and, and weaving between the two, you have to let go of both of these models and be in touch with the reality of like relationships do die. Patterns do come to an end and it will be inevitable. I think one of the most important things that we can remember, you know, we, we talked about this the other day of like being in touch with the fact if you are in relationship, you will lose your partner guaranteed. And you may lose them next week. They may fall in love with somebody else. You may stay together for a hundred years and die together on the same day at age 99 or something. But the fact is your relationship is going to end at some point. And the more that we can keep that into that we stay in relationship with the truth of that, the more that we can actually be with our partner and enjoy the experience of being with them. Knowing that as these cycles come to an end, it doesn't have to be the end of the relationship as a whole. For myself and anyone listening, like, so when you're in those hotbeds and you're in those periods, like there's a death coming and you're asking yourself those questions, how do you know if it's the right decision to move forward in the death or to actually break up? Because you're in that space, right? And at the, at the core of it, I get that it's a choice, but how do we, without any of the training, know how to make that choice? And are there things that you've learned from the multiple debt cycles that you and Libby have sort of evolved through that you can share with us on like just best practices or frameworks or things to be aware of as we are entering or inevitably will enter these phases with our, with our intimate partners? I think it can be really challenging and really tricky to know the difference. And this notion of when you're in it, this notion of like, should I stay or should I go? Is this healthy? Is this dysfunctional? Like what is going on? I think they're very real questions. I also think they're very natural questions when you're in the process of it all. One of the things that has helped for us the most is when we were two years in, we broke up. We were getting to the two-year mark and we had both sat down and we're like, what's stopping us from going deeper? Like what's really in the way of us going into the next level of like commitment and, and connection together? And we had both journaled separately on this. And now granted, you have to remember we're, we're 20 we're very young. I don't know, 26, 24, 27, 25, something, something like that. 26 and 24, I think. And this is pre a lot of waking up and doing internal work. <laughs> and so you can imagine we write lists. And one of the things on Libby's list was this guy that she had a fling with years prior. And it was a thing where they fell in love very, very quickly, but they were in different cities. And so they never really had a chance to no joke, a month after we write these lists, she's at a concert in Denver and she's with her best friend. And this dude she hasn't talked with in three or four years comes up and taps her on the shoulder and is like, hey, how are you? I want you to know that I'm still in love with you. I've been in love with you since we had our time Stop. together. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. So that happens to her. She comes home. We talk about it. We create a space for her to go date this guy for a week with my rationale being like, well, if you want to be in a relationship forever, you can't have that question. Like I, I would, I would hate to be in a relationship with somebody in like 20 years in where in the back of your mind, that question is always like, man, what about, what about that person? Yeah. What would I have done if I would have really went for it? So anyway, she goes and dates him for a week and it's great. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like not what I was expecting. And, uh, and I have the absolute worst week of my life, man. Like absolute 
destruction, like on the ground in my bedroom in the fetal positioning. I can't even, I'm just weeping. I can't eat. I can't sleep. Like it was really brutal. One of the people I was working with at the time constantly had me like lean in, lean into like the experience, like lean into the intensity, lean into like losing each other and, and to breathe into that and to find the part of you that's, that's okay with that. And this story goes on. It's a very long story and a very beautiful one, but without going too deep down the rabbit hole with it all, the gist of it is that she goes off, we break up, she gets to go date him. She has the experience of falling in love with him, thinking that she's going to marry him. I have the experience of getting my heart broken completely and shattered in a way that I'd never experienced in my life. Eventually, the excitement of all of that wears off and we came back together. One of the most profound lessons that I got out of that experience was that when you weave out enough times, you weave in and you weave out. Every time when you weave out, it feels scary. It feels like this could be the end. When we've weaved out enough times together and we've come back enough times together that you start to develop trust in mm. the separation. You start to, to trust that the weaving out isn't just the end. It's actually a part of the process. And it's, 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 there's a profound sense of liberation in that. When you can walk down a path that seems so enticing and to walk that path fully all the way through and to see it all the way through to where there's no more questioning left. And it creates just this, a deeper sense of solidity in the process. Does this make sense? This is making perfect sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, I'm just like really feeling into that feeling, you know, that you felt the, it was like the absolute death crushing heartbreak. Oh yeah. Of being like, I mean, even as a man, like just, you know, like somebody better Oh, stronger, dude, it is the absolute like, worst. It is the in. worst nightmare as a man. Yeah, it's it like, is the worst nightmare as a man. It's like, it's like yeah. It's a dude it. who's better, stronger, more talented, more intellectual, like all of the things that, that you're not. And not only is it a fear, it is reality. It's yeah. like you're not being chosen for the other person. I mean, just absolutely shattering at all levels. And I am so grateful it happened. So I want to really actually key in on like the liberation piece the liberation that came from you experiencing that. Cause I think that one of the bigger reasons why most people don't actually lean into these experiences is because they don't have a clear picture of the upside painted. Yeah, for sure. So can you actually paint the upside like that liberation, that freedom, the feelings like describe it with more, with more detail. There's so many things that would happen that, that I would do in relationship that was driven by fear of losing her. Hmm. So the ways if like we were fighting or I would hold back and, and there were, there are ways in which, yeah, I was just very, very afraid of losing her. And so then I would either not be as real or not be as authentic or not be as true or be afraid of bringing things to her because I had that fear. And on the other side of, of going through all that, there's no fear left of that. Yeah. Because the worst case scenario has already happened. The worst case scenario is that she leaves you. She leaves you for the other dude. And that whole experience happened for me. And so the upside is just, you don't have to be afraid. <laughs> it's like you can trust into your relationship at a level of secure attachment that is profound. Can you describe secure attachment? What does secure attachment actually feel like? Because I, I certainly 
am navigating that. I'm learning more about my own. I mean, I have an anxious attachment pattern. That's been my truth in the past and I'm unraveling that. Yeah. So if, if you're, if you're listening, there's, there's anxious attachment and there's avoidant attachment and there's secure attachment. Typically anxious and avoidant people tend to attract each other. One person in the partnership will lean towards more towards one way or the other. So you have the avoidant types that avoid intimacy and lean out in relationship. And then you have anxious types who tend to lean in. And so a common pattern and dynamic in conflict that couples will have is that as the conflict starts heating up, one person will emotionally shut down, back away. Yeah. That will trigger the other person. It will trigger the anxiety. The emotional shutdown and the, the, the leaning out triggers the, oh shit, this person is leaning out. Now I have to lean in. And then it creates this like, weird power struggle that becomes very, very painful for both people. Secure attachment is the opposite of that, where the leaning out doesn't cause you to react and to lean in. I think these things are patterns like you relive them and it's a spiral up and it happens over and over and, and you get more awareness and more, yeah, more awareness of it. But I think the, there, there's just a deeper sense of trust and stability in the field to where little tiny micro things don't throw you and don't cause you to question a bunch of things and don't cause all this conflict and disruption. I mean, especially for entrepreneurs, as, as if you look at, if you were building a business and the difference between having a partnership that is fulfilling and energizing to you and one that is destructive and, yeah. and causing emotional challenge and conflict will have a massive, massive impact on you and your productivity. It does for me anyway. Yeah. Some people can compartmentalize it and you can just like peace out and just go put your head down and focus. Some people have the capacity to do that. I'm very poor at that. So having a level of secure partnership together is just more fruitful all the way around. To that point, I think it's a lot easier for people that aren't living in their bodies and aren't feeling. Because I think that was me for a long period of time. Like I was in my mind being able to, like, if I'm able to compartmentalize, it's because I'm in my mind. Yes. Right? Yes. But the second I started feeling and getting in my body and actually, like, sitting with my uncomfortable emotions, it became very difficult to actually... What got you into your body? My first plant medicine experience. Uh, like, plant medicine really helped me feel more and get me into my heart and my body. And then combining that with my partner my ex at the time like we you know like really leaning into that space together like mm -hmm. that's what got me into my body that's what got me feeling um the uncomfortable feelings and then i started going deeper into hypnotherapy and and that started opening up shit that i wasn't ready to see and then that then cascaded into realities that i didn't want to face and then that then cascaded into breakups and things and and then all of a sudden life was just giving me more and more and more fuel for feeling and breaking me open because I, the safety of my mind, which is where I feel like I was living my entire life, which is the patterns, the knowing, the thing I can control. All of a sudden now I'm, tr I'm running away from it. I'm in my feelings, which is a very amorphous, tangled, chaotic like it's, it's just, there's no, there's no frame or pattern. It's just a moment to moment experience. And it literally took an inside out sort of, I had to throw out my operating system and, and completely throw out the operating system. And it, it was a long period of time until I feel now like that I can actually sit in where I'm at and I have a little more skill, I think, with being present with what's here. 
but it took a long time of un- it took a lot of unlearning. And it's very confronting. Very confronting. It, and it feels like it feels like reality's melting into a proverbial soup. You're just like, what is going on? Because it feels like everything it feels like everything flipped inside out. I remember being a kid and being like, I remember opposite day, like up is down and left is right. And like <laughs> I, remember, I remember that little piece. And and it feels very much like that. Like all of the things that worked before no longer work. And you can't go back to them. I think that's also the most valuable lesson in this. It's that the mind is purely just a pattern matching machine. Pattern matching based on what the inputs it has. Whether you consciously fed yourself those inputs or not, it's creating these realities based on what you know. And when you get into a space where you're leaning into relationship or you're wanting to actually question the boundaries of what's possible, you can't actually create from that space in the mind. Because if you keep creating from the space in your mind, you're only going to get what you know. But if you're trying to do something you've never done before or experience levels of intimacy that haven't been modeled for you before or experience levels of success. I mean, I remember when I first got an entrepreneurship, like I had to change my relationship with money. Like everything I learned about money had to go out the door. And that was confronting. That was scary. Oh my God. The first time I had a deal or like anytime my business got rocky and it wasn't stable income, like the, the, the feelings, the insecurities. I mean, and I think that's, what's so fascinating about this, this lifestyle that I think you, you embody and you're, you're and we're talking about right now for anyone listening, like this lifestyle of leaning into whether it's relationship, whether it's money, whether it's anything, it's like, this is all a mirror for you, for what's lacking in you. And when we can give ourselves the gift of feeling, I, that's what creates freedom and sovereignty. And, and so when you're in that sovereign space, especially in relationship, what shifts, right? So I guess like you're on the other side of that death cycle. What shows up in that space of creation? Like just, I'd love to. Yeah, I think, I think if you think of it in setting context for it, there's at, at a broader level, there's the state of mind where you are, you're living mostly in the mind, where life is about mental constructs. It's around strategies. It's around this thing, then that thing. And then you slow down you get more dropped into your body and you get more dropped into your emotions. And then that starts unraveling everything. And that creates some sort of rite of passage or some sort of an initiation. A lot of what's happening with the transition that, that you've went through is that it's initiating you into a level of adulthood that is new and different. We don't have rites of passage anymore. We've talked about this a lot. Every psychologically developed culture does. And they would take the boys out and then they would tie them to an anthill or throw them into the woods for a week or two and they had to survive on their own. And it was always the, uh, a rite of passage is a facing of your own sense of mortality and death. And we don't do that anymore. And if you look at our culture in America, we're a very adolescent culture. Our culture values money and attention and fame and sex. And these are all, all things that like a teenager typically values. So going, going, you have like, you know, pre-initiation, post-initiation, and then you have the, the rite of passage itself where everything kind of melts and you forget who you are or, or remember who you are, depending on how you look at it. But all your old patterns die away. And then I'm, I think on the other side of it, the, the first thing that you experience is a sense of enoughness and a sense of contentness. And the truth is, this is why a lot of people are, a lot of entrepreneurs in general are afraid of going down the plant medicine rabbit hole because they've watched all their friends do it. And then their friends find a sense of ease and bliss and relaxation and for a while you lose the edge that you had because when you're 
driven in your head. Like a lot of entrepreneurs, we start dri- being driven by fear. Most of us anyway. I mean, if you grew up with a bunch of money, then maybe that's different. But I grew up with not very much money. And so every business I had to start had to make money fast. And so your MO is like, how do I get this off the ground? How do I make this work? And for a number of years, you're trying to make the business survive. And then it eventually grows and you get to a point where the business will typically peak and you will lose a sense of motivation because if your your motivation is fear and that's the fuel source that's driving you, it peaks out when there's nothing to be afraid of. So if you're making a lot of money and it's going well, I hit that exact pillar. Like when I first started my business, JavaPress, the first company, it was all based in like fear. It was all based in like I had to get to this point. And it was like I needed to get there fast because there was a, a feeling of fear of inadequacy driving. But once I got to that point that I wanted, it became very difficult for me to get to the next level. Extremely difficult, in fact, because fear kept me trapped from wanting to go bigger Fear kept me trapped from thinking I could do it again. Fear kept me trapped from, it was like this, it's the weirdest thing. Like the thing that got me there could not get me to the next level. And there was a terrifying level of like, I don't want to let down my edge, even though logically the edge isn't working anymore. Completely. You know, like the Tiger Woods example? Uh, No, but go ahead. So, so, So Tiger won, like he came out of the gate, won a bunch of tournaments, and, and this went for a number of years and he was just like the hottest golfer on the circuit. And then he had a coach that was like, we're going to reinvent your swing. And everybody thought he was insane for doing this. And for three years, three or four years, Tiger didn't win a single tournament. And all of the media, all of the critics were like, he's a flash in the pan. He's a has been, he just peaked and he's done now. He's not going to make it back. And after three or four years, the momentum kind of picked back up and he went on to win another like 12 tournaments over the course of the next two or three years or something. He was going through that cycle where he peaked at where he was, he had to go back and reinvent and then he went through and blasted off again and it, it made it work. And I think this parallel happens with entrepreneurs all the time and, and it typically happens, you have nothing, you build a business, you're in like that low to mid seven figure business and then you peak there and you kind of get stuck there and you don't know why it's working and then the key thing is that you lose your drive and and the thing that like drove you to go to the next level, you don't really feel that anymore. And so then what will happen is that they will either like sit there for a little while or they will end up creating some sort of an experience where they either lose a bunch of money or get into a lawsuit or lose a business partnership and then lose all that momentum and growth because they need the adrenaline hit of fear to motivate them again because that's the fuel source that's driving there. And that's the crazy part. Like that's the the self-destructive cycle, which is why it's so important to get yourself out of the cycle. I've realized for me, like, you know, the last two years, 18 months have, instead of doing, I feel like my MO has been being, which has been like, let me go inward. Let me work on myself. Cause I realized if I want to actually create the life that I want, I can't just keep doing. If I just keep going it's going to be the same pattern same, and it goes back to relationships. What we started this whole conversation on, right? Like you get out of this thing you don't want. You experience this thing that's broken. If you don't take a time to pause and if you don't take time to be, and if you don't take time to actually surrender in some ways to the experience, it is only going to delay the inevitable. That inevitable is, is the truth. Like, and that's the uncomfortable truth that we're, we're all experiencing. 
you know, you ask like, what's on the other side of this? What's the benefit of going through this journey? And what does it look like? It's like, well, you'll stop building stuff out of fear. Your fuel source that drives you to create will shift. And it's like shifting from a gas car to an electric car. It's a, yeah. it's a completely different operating system. The first thing on the other side of it that you'll experience is a sense of enoughness and a sense of contentness, which is scary to entrepreneurs because we're so used to not feeling that. And we're so used to that feeling of, of not that driving all of our actions. It's like, well, if I feel content and if I feel enough, why would I do anything? That is the <laughs> multi-million dollar bitch of a question, man. Like I hate like, that, that, that one idea kept me so trapped for so long. Oh yeah. My God. Like I, I literally was like, if I didn't have to be successful, would I? Right. That was the question that kept showing up. Like if I didn't have to make the money, would I? And I was so terrified of the truth, which was like, I'm actually just going to be a bum, which I'm actually just going to go sit under a rock and just hide. And when I actually allowed myself to, and it was so ridiculous too. And I realized that question keeps showing up in so many different areas of my life. If I didn't actually try so hard, would I try so hard? I, I realized for myself that that was me realizing that I didn't have a choice because it was me thinking that I was working without choice. Like, I, and I, and I, and for me, like that's been my healing for the most part is bringing everything that feels reactive back into choice. Do I choose to work? Do I choose to make a lot of money? Do I, do I have to? Yes. And no, I could have to because of my realities, but the energy of me choosing to is different. And I think that was the biggest shift for me that took me out of that, that cycle of like going down this, like, if I didn't have to make money, would I? Why does that question even matter? It's the wrong question. Do I choose to make money because it lights me up? And it wasn't until I really went into the work when we started doing the work together and then shifting into that energy that it came very, very, very clear that I was not living in choice. Beyond the money piece, it's like, what do I want to pour my time and attention and love into? And I think it's very worth it for, I think it's worth it for entrepreneurs and in general and, and, and everyone in general to take some time sitting and, and staring into the abyss of nothingness of like, yeah, do I, do I want this? And if I wasn't driven by these things, what would I actually want? And just like, you know, we talk about this weaving out and weaving in piece. It's a notion of weaving out. It's weaving out and being like, yeah, do I actually want any of these things and allowing yourself to not be compelled or not have some sort of compulsion to act and to sit in the stillness and sit in the silence and see what naturally arises, what like naturally wants to come through, what naturally wants to be expressed, not from a reaction or a fear, but from, from desire and from choice and from love. I think it leads to longer term businesses. I think it leads to more true creations, it leads to better art, ultimately just a, a better life. Yeah, hundred percent. And at the core of it, like, we talk about a lot of different ideas on this podcast that are all leading back to this, this core notion of staying grounded and what that means. And I think at the core of it, it's really hard to actually ground yourself in something true without being willing to go to the depths of the weaving out and then coming back without actually appreciating the cycles of life. One of the things I've just really been leaning into a lot of is, you know, just how we are nature. Like I remember I went to a, a sweat lodge, my first sweat lodge when I came out of it, like it was so obvious how 
the natural cycles of life and the seasons of life and the moon cycles and the four elements and our own genetic makeup and our own physical sort of like constructs, like how we are a mirror of nature when we can truly lean into that and embody that and then anticipate it, whether it's in the way that we design our lives, whether it's in the ways that we honor the doing and the being and the ways that we honor the periods of crazy action and then the cr- periods of crazy inaction, the expansion and the contraction in that dance is truly the, the, the richness and the potency of, of, of a well-lived life. And, and a well-lived life is very different than success. It is very different than legacy. It is very different. It is, it is a moment-to-moment experience that accumulates at the end of life. Yeah, which is actually what I believe is what actually leads to a legacy worth having versus wanting a legacy for the sake of wanting a legacy. I think it's two very different, I think it's two very different ways of operating. We started unpacking this yesterday off the mic, but I'd love to go a little deeper into mm-hmm. it. You and Libby are building a life together, or they're creating businesses together now and doing this. Like, can you unpack a little more about the transition of like the evolution and the stages of relationship? Because I think this is something that isn't talked about enough. And a lot of people get stuck in the shit of a, a cycle. We'll call it a cycle, right? They'll get stuck in a phase and then not realizing that it's a natural part of a relationship evolving. So can you talk about the stages of relationship and like, and describe them so that anyone listening can, can really see what's possible. And if they're in a relationship, they can know what to look forward to. And if they're not in a relationship, they can be aware of what to call in. So when I think of this, I think of, I think of four stages for the most part of relationship and when I say these are stages, they are, they're moment to moment expressions, but they tend to be in one phase for a while and then evolve to another one. But you might jump around based on the moment that you're in. But typically they follow this flow, which is you've got the honeymoon stage, you're falling in love, it's beautiful, it's blissful, it's fun, it's romantic, it's the early, early stages. And that can last for a month, a year, somewhere in that space. And then you typically end up in a phase of codependence where you start relying on each other in these ways that are unconscious and not you, you agree to them at an unconscious level. And there are ways in which you're outsourcing your own responsibility to the other person. This works for a period of time. You know, we get into how it all ties into parental dynamics and all of the things of the parallels that it has to your relationship with your mother and your relationship with your father and all of that. But codependence is that you're outsourcing your responsibilities to the other person. It may not feel like it. You, may, you might have a really healthy relationship, but there's, there's something happening underneath the surface. Next phase is independence, where you move and transition into a state of independence where uh, you reclaim those parts of you that you've outsourced and you become more sovereign and more whole and more of an individual. This is generally a very, very painful transition. Because it feels, it feels like death and normally one person leads the way, which means the other person feels like they're leaving them. And in some ways they are, they're leaving them for the next stage. And, and that actually bumps the whole relationship into a transitionary phase, which is what we call the death cycle, which is when you're jumping in between phases. So you've got honeymoon phase, initial starting place. You have codependence, which is you're outsourcing different parts of your responsibility to somebody else. Then you have independence where you become more sovereign, more whole 
more responsible for these parts of yourselves. And then the next phase is this sense of interdependence where you are consciously collaborating together as a sovereign whole, a complete individual, and you you choose to depend on each other in ways, not out of the fact that you can't do that stuff for yourselves, but out of the fact that life is better when you're collaborating together because of that. Life is better. That's the key part. It's not completing each other because we're incomplete. It's making our lives better. And it's like, I'm a sovereign adult and you're a sovereign adult and we're choosing to do this because it's a fun game that we want to play together. And it doesn't mean that it won't be challenging, but it's it's just that we're we're choosing to rely on, on each other in these different ways. And there's that notion, I think, baked in that, that you, you know, it's not your job to make anyone happy, it's, but you can make them happier. And that's where that interdependence piece is like, you're, you're not taking on the responsibility of completing anyone truly just there to enrich the life. And that's one of the things I just really love most about you, Andy. Like I think when I really think about, I love all, I, I just, I fucking love you just in general, just because you truly are like a, a man that I, and a brother that I really look up to when it comes to living at the edges of of these very 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 peak experiences like these these very rich territories of growth and and you are seeking that upper limit that upper limit is truly what your your soul is here to do i mean i i've seen it i've experienced it like this is what you're doing like you're here to experience the upper limit of life and and i so admire how you've actually designed your life to mirror that and you've designed your relationship i think that was one of the biggest reasons i reached out to you when i got out of my relationship last year. Like I still remember, I was like, who am I going to call for help? I couldn't think of anyone else. I was just like, I knew your relationship. I knew that you were navigating just really difficult conversations with yourself. And I knew that you had gotten on the other side of it. And so I'm just so grateful, really honestly, that I have you in my life. I'm grateful that I get to call you a brother. I'm grateful just for how much you've, you've truly changed my life and made my life better. And and just taught me so much. Like you've been such a big brother and I'm just, I'm just so grateful dude. I love you. Thank you, man. I love you too. It's been a treat. It's been really, it's just been exquisite to watch the journey and to watch your, your rocket ship of the past 18 months of, you know, when we first started chatting and, and doing some work together to where, you know, where we're at now in this beautiful place and getting to spend time with your girlfriend and just, it's been fantastic. Okay, so for anyone listening who may, I mean, we we didn't really talk much about what you do, but you know, if you want to describe, I guess, your work in the world, please. For me, this was you, you are one of the most, and I will say this before you even talk about what you do. Like when it comes to relationships, I go to Andy. I there's not a person in the world that I trust more when it comes to relationships, navigating relationship conflict, navigating personal desires and interweaving those with the desires of another. Like I really can't find anyone else that I would trust more than you. So thank you, man. It means the world to hear. Yeah. I just, I care about it a lot. I care about it a lot because I think a lot of the imbalances we have in the world is a, is an imbalance between masculine and feminine energy. And, and I think that the the challenges are fixed in the realm of relationship. They're not fixed in, out there. They're fixed like in our intimate partnerships with our, with our significant others. Like that's where the work's done. 
And there's just, we need more, I, I believe we need more content and more teachers around it and that people resonate with. And so we're building a brand called The Art of Love. So if you go to theartoflove.com or email me, andrew at theartoflove.com, we've got content there. We've been working with different teachers. I think the best way to get in touch is just shoot me an email. And uh, if you want anything, that's probably the best way to do it. I care about people having healthy relationships because I think everything in life is better. And all the other stuff kind of either goes away or is amplified when you have a great relationship. And if all that stuff is taken away and you still have a great relationship, you still have a great life. All right, Andy, I got one last question for you. In the midst of everything you've been through, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? I started working with this teacher years ago, old, old school Tantra teacher, David. At one point, we, I had this peak experience with him and we were, we were working together in Bali. I put my life on hold. I was there for two months and I have this peak experience and I was like, David, I need to just like, remember this. How do I, how do I integrate this? How do I like stay in this state and, and not lose this thing? Can you give me some sort of homework or like something that I can do? And he looked at me and he laughed and he always does these like weird things to me. And he just smiled and he says, you want some homework? I want you to take the next deep breath in over and over for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's like, fine. Got it. So, uh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> deep breath in. Oh my gosh. It can't be that easy. Yeah. Oh, it can be that simple, but it's not always that easy. I'll well say said. that. So, Anyways, well, brother, again, thank you so much for being here. And I'm just so grateful. Um, But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Andy. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.